0: It's Trinity Sunday. It's the only Sunday in the church calendar of the year where we celebrate a doctrine of the church rather than an activity of God or the life of Jesus. The idea of the Trinity is something that we have developed over the life of the church. It's not something clearly given to us in the Bible, which is why we have these two readings, I guess. Each Trinity Sunday different we get different readings but the second reading obviously speaks about the trinity baptizing people of father son and holy spirit and the first reading talks about the spirit of god present in the world and talks about us making human beings in our own image i guess there's some of the reasons why we've got these texts but i don't know if you remember going to sunday school if that was um one of the things you either enjoyed or endured, depending on where you were. You got sort of different images when people tried to explain the Trinity. Do you remember there was the three leaf clover, where three bits, but they're all joined together? That was one that I remember as a kid. Another one was the uh, ice, water, steam. It's the same stuff, but it appears in different forms. That one didn't really appeal to me either. I wasn't very good at science at school. I thought the whole thing, is too didactic. It's too sort of explanation. It's trying to explain. You know, we got stuck with this idea of a literal understanding of the Bible somewhere at the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of the 20th century. Prior to that, people who read the Bible, people who listened to sermons, people who engaged in worship... They didn't need it to be literally true in a kind of linear form. They didn't need the Bible to be a mechanics workshop manual. They needed it to be the story that become part of who they were. But the scientific age meant that we started to, to wonder whether or not anything that we had to say in faith had anything to do with anybody and that maybe um, we needed to be a bit more sort of rigorous and a bit more scientific, look for the purely material meaning of something. But of course, so much of the scriptures, so much of our faith is poetry, not prose. Jesus used parables all the time. The Psalms and many of the other texts in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, are full of imagery and ideas and metaphors. We need to open this up if it's going to make any sense to us at all. Here's a quote from Meister Eckhart who was a uh, a 13th century German theologian, mystic, monk. And he's, he's talking about the Trinity. He says this, "'The father laughs and gives birth to the son. "'The son laughs back at the father "'and gives birth to the spirit.' The whole trinity laughs and gives birth to us. This doesn't explain anything, does it? But does it open up for you in just a small way, another way of experiencing what it means to be alive in God's world? A story never explains, it always invites. A story kind of gets inside you in a different and interesting way. In many ways, we could talk about the Trinity as a great story about who God is. When Jesus said, baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, he wasn't instituting the church. Although it's just as likely that this was written back into the gospel once the church had got itself going. What I think Jesus would have been saying here is, When you bring people into this experience, when you invite people into an experience of who God is, it's the totality of who God is. God is the originator of everything that is, according to the the Genesis reading that Alan read to us. And so talking about the Trinity could be like the Father is the sustainer our experience of the reality of all things as actually existing the universe has the dna of god the talking about god as son is talking about god is our experience of reality as us as god being us being human it's very important in christian thought to remember that jesus wasn't some kind of divine being pretending to be human. He wasn't Superman, who, whenever things got tough, could use his superpower to fix it all. The church is very insistent that the person we call Jesus was just a person like us. He was deeply engaged with God in a way that we don't even begin to understand, but he was human. And when we talk about God as spirit. We're we're talking about our experience of reality as everywhere and everything through us and in us. We are made of the DNA of God. Paul talks about it as being children of God but that's what it's saying, isn't it? The Trinity is a way of talking about the radical interconnection of everything. It's all about relationships. The universal story is a story about relationships. Nothing exists by itself. Everything exists interdependently. Any basic physics text will tell you that. And this is what the Genesis story is telling us. It's all deeply interconnected. It's all good. And not only that, it's only one of theologians think there's probably seven creation stories in the Bible. The second creation story comes immediately after the text that Alan read to us. It's a different version of how the whole thing began. It's a story that opens up. It's not explanation. Otherwise, we're stuck with, well, it says seven days, so therefore, isn't that ridiculous that we've somehow gotten into that pattern or then we've had to be able to figure out how it all happened in seven days. Where did the dinosaurs come from? And It's a story that's supposed to open it up. It's an event of community and communion. We've often thought of God as the supreme being somewhere out there rather than thinking of God as the totality of all reality. God is being itself, is what the Trinity tells us. Let me tell you another story. This one's written by Robert Capon, who sadly died a a decade ago, an Episcopalian, Anglican, theologian, and a food writer. For the New York Times, he was a food columnist for the New York Times. He always said, "If we're going to have communion, we should have the best wine we can possibly afford." And in one of his books, he lists a couple of very, very expensive wines. He Said that if communion, if we're serious about it, we should drink the best wine we can, which I always thought was a great idea. But uh, we'll have different things about that. Let me tell you, Robert Capon says, "Why God made the world." One afternoon, before anything was made. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sat around in the unity of their Godhead discussing one of the Father's great fixations. From all eternity, it seems, he had had this thing about being. He would keep thinking up all new kinds of unnecessary things, new ways of being, and new kinds of beings to be. As they talked, God the Son suddenly said, Really, this is absolutely great stuff. Why don't I go out and mix up a batch? And God the Holy Spirit said, terrific, I'll help. So they all pitched in. And after supper that night, the Son and the Holy Spirit put on this tremendous show of being for the Father. It was full of water and light and frogs. Pine cones kept dropping all over the place and crazy fish swam around in the wine glasses. There were mushrooms and mastodons, grapes and geese, tornadoes and tigers and men and women everywhere to taste them, to juggle with them, to join them and to love them. And God the Father looked at the whole wild party and said, wonderful! Wonderful! Just what I had in mind. Tov, 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 which is Hebrew for good, good. You know, muzzle tov. And all the and God and the Son and God the Holy Spirit and all they could think of to say over and over again was tov, tov, tov. Here's another picture. Here's another story. This is, uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, we're showing a picture of uh, Matisse, uh, Henri Matisse's uh, The Dance, one of his famous paintings. It's quite a lot bigger than that in reality, and our screen is a bit rubbishly small, but anyway, we can see it. And The Dance is a circular movement of life. There's fluidity in it. There's joy. If you haven't uh, ever seen this, go and look it up on the web. There's plenty of pictures of it everywhere. Oop, it's disappeared. Oh, there it is. No, it's gone. Go back. Thanks. Um, it, this is a wonderful... It was, this is painted in, uh, in uh, 1910, and it's a beautiful painting of, of the fluid relationship that we all long to be in. I don't know if you've ever tried dancing. I'm rubbish at it. But I know what it's supposed to be because I've seen other people do it and move with fluidity and know where their feet are supposed to be, and I long to be living that fluid life, not only in dancing but in my whole exist- existence. Now you can um, show the other one, if you don't mind. This is the uh, one of the most famous icons in the world. This is uh, Andrei Rublev's uh, The Hospitality of Abraham, or it's most often known as the Trinity. It's the, from the 15th century, and uh, it's a small icon. Most icons are not very big. It's much smaller than that, but that's a really good image of it. We don't have time to go into... this whole lectures being given about Andrei Rublev's uh, Trinity, about why each of the characters are the shape they are, why they face each other the way they do, all those kinds of things that we could go into, the colours of, uh, of their clothing. But it's a picture of the Trinity. It's a picture of the, the ultimate engagement between individuals... But what the, the really interesting things about this, this icon is that you can see if you go down to the bottom of the middle of the table, there's a, a rectangle there. Can you see it? Um, it's actually not supposed to be there in the sense of it's not a part of the image. It's actually glue stuck to the icon. And many commentators believe that what was originally there was a mirror. So that when you approached the icon, you saw not only the Trinity, but you saw yourself making the circle. You saw yourself as a part of that great circle. Here's God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and there's you. As a part of the dance, if you like. As a part of the great relationship. It's the interconnectedness of everything. That's what the story is telling us. That's what... Possibly, Rublev meant by his icon. It's the interconnectedness of all things. It's the growing together of everything as one. The story of the Trinity is not a doctrine of that you have to understand and explain the difference between God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It, it's not. It's a story that invites you into the dance. Invites us to be as deeply interconnected and interwoven as we really are. You might have remembered a couple of years ago, uh, Barack Obama, when he was pr- uh, president, said a speech that got him into all sorts of trouble because he, he said to the wealthy, you did not do this by yourself. There's no such thing as the self-made man. It was always men, wasn't it? But because everything is interconnected. He talked about the fact that you know, if you made a living... um, making a lot of money out of trucking things around the place. You did that on roads that were built by all of us. And he went on and on. And Of course, it's a very true thing. Nothing happens by itself. You didn't get here by yourself. Someone gave birth to you. This is the way the world is. The the Trinity is an invitation for us to go deeper into the great mysterious interconnection between ourselves and the universe, the being of everything and each other.